we often hear <clears throat> that it is a spiritual activity to forgive and forget. Implying that's what God does. And we're half right. God forgives. Never in my hyper-conservative Bible school training or my different yet orthodox master's training has anyone ever said one of the attributes of God is a bad memory. Do you actually think God forgets? And when we get to heaven, he'll go, yeah, no, I really don't remember that. No, he doesn't. God is all-knowing, omnipresent, omnipotent. Knows all, sees all. There is no past, present, and future. There is only now for God. He forgives, but he doesn't forget. But Jesus took our place, and that's the thing he remembers. And in the heavenlies, I imagine a drama something like this. Well, here's justice. Here's this guy, Mark. Wow. It's a pretty big tally sheet on him. And I imagine that I start to shiver. And Jesus goes, hang on just a minute. He's mine. God the Father says, He's yours? Jesus says, I got him. And God the Father says, you're in. Simple as that. A critical part of forgiving another is not forgetting, but it's actually remembering. I can't make that point strong enough. If someone comes to us and says, I'm really sorry, for what I did to you. And it took them a week to muster this energy to come. And they may have heard a sermon or, or read a, a Bible verse, talked about forgiveness, and they mustered the courage and they prayed. It took them a week to, to get what they needed. And they come and say, I am sorry that I did that. Please forgive me. And this person goes, oh, yeah, uh, I don't even remember that. There is no bonding, no, no power in that at all. Because this person claims to not even remember. When I think what's more true is this person fails to be an adult and to be mature and to step up in the place and say, I remember when that happened. Yeah, that stung me pretty hard. I was embarrassed, which is why I bit you back. Yeah, I felt that when you bit me back. That hurt. But that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to ask you to forgive me for my part. I'll do that. It really hurt. You've done that before. But I do forgive you. Thanks for coming. And while we're here, will you please forgive me? And not in a broad, general sense, for everything of all time, but in a very specific sense, for that thing I said. Yes, I will. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is a relationship, isn't it? Now that has some 
potency to it and some power behind it. The key to forgiveness is remembering. Jesus told stories because stories are how we learn because we are part of a story. The story of God eternal past. The story of God in creation. The story of the first humans that were created. And the story, mind you, capital S story. The story, right? Not a story. Not an Aesop's fable, but the story that the cosmos is writing. And it comes down through the ages until it gets to us. And we are a part of that ongoing story. And God tells the Israelites in the desert in Deuteronomy, remember to tell your kids. Don't forget to remember. Tell your kids that God did this. Tell your kids, write it on your foreheads and your arms and, and make notes and sing songs. Tell them what happened. In other words, remember. I want to tell you a story. In story fashion, you'll find the text at the very end of Matthew 18. It's the very last story, and it takes up the largest portion of what we've divided into chapters in, in uh, Matthew's chronolo chronology of Jesus' words and life. At the end of that chapter, Matthew tells us the story that Jesus told. And it goes something like this in a modern-day version. I'm going to go in and see my boss today, and uh, I'm going to uh, ask him to uh, uh, give me a raise. So here I go. Hey, boss, I need a raise. And the boss says, I'm thinking about firing you. I've, I, I want to settle my accounts with all of my employees, and I realize that you owe me almost a million dollars. And... The imp well, I did? I can't pay that back. I'm going to have you thrown in jail then. A million dollars is a lot of money to me, and you owe it, and I'm done with you. This guy, please forgive me. I'm so, I can't pay that back. There is no way I can pay all that back, but I'll try. If you let me go, I'll work hard to pay every penny back. Well, all right, I'm not going to throw you in jail. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. So this fellow walks down the stairs, goes out of the courthouse going, wow, I dodged a bullet. And he sees this fellow that owes him 10 bucks that he borrowed last Friday. Walks down the stairs, and he sees that fellow that owes him 10 bucks. Hey, 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 Fred! And grabs him by the neck. You owe me $10. You said you'd pay. Fred goes, I, I can't pay it. I don't have it yet. I promise I'll pay it back if you'll forgive me. Guys, no way am I forgiving you. Please say, this guy has stolen money from me. They haul that guy off to jail. By the way, again, you can read this story at the end of Matthew chapter 18. And I wish you would. Some people sitting on the courthouse steps, probably smoke break from their city job. 
saw what happened. And they went back inside and, hey, boss, I mean, I don't mean to gossip, but you just forgave that guy. And I don't think he really understands what you did for him. He just threw somebody in jail that owed him $10. You forgave him a million. The boss said, bring that man back to me and I'll let you remember or I'll let you read the rest of the story in Matthew chapter 18, to get a sense of the fury of the boss toward that man. He was not lenient. Why do I tell that story? It's really simple. On the way down the stairs, that guy forgot. The key to forgiveness is remembering. Had he really understood the depths of his own forgiveness instead of trying to manipulate, I wouldn't have even trusted his tears and his cries. Tears can mean a thousand things, by the way. They don't always mean what you think they might mean. And on his way out of the courthouse, he forgot based on what he did. The story is about remembering. Or to state it in the negative, double negative, don't forget. And now we come to Romans chapter 12 again. And we start this great chapter. And it starts like this. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves living sacrifices. I'm going to take some liberties which are not actual liberties with the text because I believe as we look at the whole Bible and take the whole Bible in context of the whole message, this goes like this. Ladies and gentlemen, in Atoka, Oklahoma, don't forget. We've been forgiven so much. Remember where you came from. And don't forget that you've been forgiven. That's the message. Mark, don't forget. And because you're going to remember, in view of God's mercies, because you're going to remember the grace you've been given, the forgiveness you've been given, the life you've been given, you're going to live your life as a living sacrifice. I can't state that too much I don't think I can overstate that, if you will. So again, we're still in Romans chapter 12. All of that will serve as a framework and introductory comments to get us in the um, posture of what Paul is really trying to say <clears throat> to these good folks in Rome. 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, You of God's mercies, offer yourself living sacrifice. You can read it for yourself. Verse 2, be not conformed, but be transformed <clears throat> by the renewing of your mind. And I'll make a note here. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Has nothing to do with clothes you wear, necessarily. Places you go to, what goes in your mouth, liquid, what goes in your mouth, oral. It's all about, do you display the life of a living sacrifice? <clears throat> 
Has your mind been renewed? We're about to jump in to a passage here that talks about viewing ourselves with sober judgment. And then we're going to jump into a passage that talks about gifts. And it's critical to recognize that this is talking about be transformed so that you can know what God's will is. And I've said it to you before that I don't believe God cares whether you work at Burger King or McDonald's. He cares how you work at Burger King or McDonald's. The fruit of the Spirit is work at McDonald's. Be a shoeshine boy. Be a fireman. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. No. The fruits of the Spirit are wherever you are, love. Wherever you are, bring joy. Wherever you are, bring peace. So we ask our students, and we put a lot of pressure on them to pray about where they're going to college. And I think that's a very good thing. I would tell them, make your choice on where you're going to college based on the best thinking, the best praying, the best counsel, the best information you can collect and what you want to do. And when you go to college, I'll pray that you will be in God's will at that college. You will exercise your spiritual gifts. You will love your fellow students. You will be patient. You will be joyful. You will persevere in trials. Are you with me? Susie, it's not about what song you sing on a particular morning. You choose what you want to sing. And sing it in a way that glorifies God. And he will applaud like crazy. You could spend days and hours and make yourself crazy trying to figure out what song I should sing this week in Kingfisher. And at the end, you would still go, I guess this is what I should sing. And then we'd couch it in some spiritual language. I prayed about this, and God made it really clear to me, and it, it's, it's God's will that I do this. And we have to do all these spiritual dynamics and gymnastics and have the right word come out so that the right people will feel like we're in the middle of God's will. And I want to tell you, God's will is whether you love, whether you're patient, whether you use your spiritual gifts in whatever environment you're, you're in. Daniel, exiled in Babylon. Joseph, exiled in prison. Are you with me? I think that's clear. I hope that's clear. I hope it frees us up from this tyranny. And one more point, and it's a little bit sensitive, and it's not in my notes, so I tell myself, caution here, Mark. (laughs) Thank you, Susie, you get it. (laughs) You're probably more nervous than me (laughs) at at this point. (laughs) We tell our kids, There's one perfect woman out there for you. Or one perfect man out there for you. And that creates a a little bit of temporary hope. I don't think that's God's will at all. That creates such a fear and such a pressure. And I was at this thing the other day and this beautiful woman came up and she said hi to me and introduced herself to me and she was really friendly but I was with my rowdy friends who I shouldn't have been with and I didn't even get her name I didn't get her phone number I don't know anything about her I was living in a moment of sin and now I missed God's perfect will for me so whoever I do marry is now second best what a trap right are you with me God's will for you is that you love the one you are married to period You're patient with the one you're married to. 
You make your choice, and that's who you love. That's who you long suffer with. That's who you do life with. And we let our kids breathe a little bit. We take this fear off of them. We, we don't put, make them have to come home and, and say things like, I think I found God's one for me. And that sounds really good in sixth grade. But for adults, it's like, uh, all the older adults go, yeah, maybe not. Creates a huge pressure. That's just my opinion. Of course, I think I'm right, just like you think you're right in yours on those. Uh, please don't write me emails about that. Uh, but I would actually like to hear, hear your thoughts. A person who does not know themselves cannot give grace to another. A person who does not know themselves cannot give grace to another. A person who does not know their own story must necessarily be angry when they get cut off on the freeway. When that happens, all that tells me is this person doesn't know their own story well enough. A person who does not know their own story cannot give grace to another. They don't remember the mercy that's been given to them. Folks, I think one of the most important things we can do is understand and learn the story that God is writing in us. And part of that will be as we enter this passage about knowing our gifts. What's your gift? What's my gift? And we have to know ourselves realistically, which is why Paul says that we need to view ourselves not more highly than we ought, but with sober, accurate judgment, right? In other words, know who you are, not who you want to be, who your parents think you should be, who your grandma thought you should be, who your church thinks you should be. Know who you are. View yourself with sober judgment. Quit playing low. Quit going, oh, shucks. Quit playing high. Quit going, who's the man? Play yourself. View yourself accurately. View yourself like God views you. The person who doesn't see themselves accurately is this person. So we're all at a party, and we're all having a nice time, and... It's a, it's a good time. We're getting to know each other. Or, or we're on vacation, and we're all together, and we're chatting. And the new person walks into the room. The person who hasn't been there, right? And the new person who walks into the room says, Whoa, it's hot in here. No. 70 of us are fine at 72 degrees. You just came in from the cold with a big coat on. But the person who doesn't know themselves, doesn't pay attention to what's going on inside of them, will make their opinion the opinion of the universe. Whoa, it's hot in here. Somebody open a window. And the rest of the room goes, no, I don't think that's about the room, and I don't think that's about us. I think that's about you. Right? Another one. Somebody walks in the room and stands around for a while. and Then they whisper to the person beside them, 
Whoa, everybody here is so uptight. We just need to chill a little. Everybody relax. And we all look up and go, feeling pretty relaxed. But they put their truth. I'm feeling tense, and I'm not sure why, because I don't know my own story. I don't know anything about me. So I'm just going to put that, you are all uptight. It's not me, it's you. It's important we know our own story. Otherwise, we do what psychologists call, we project our feelings, our perceptions, we project them onto other people. I feel bad, so you must feel bad. I feel good, so you must feel good. I feel afraid, I don't want to feel afraid, so I'll deflect that back to you and say, why are you so scared? We have to know our own story, or we can't step into knowing our gifts. And if we don't know our gifts, there's some of us who want to be a servant. And you volunteer to paint houses because that's the cool thing to do in this particular church. I'll paint houses because my gift is serving. Your gift might not be serving. And when we watch you paint, you might not be gifted at painting. And you're causing a problem for everybody else. And you might not know your gift yet. Someone thinks they have the gift of mercy. And so they make a hospital call. And it starts to get really, the pain starts to come out as the person they're visiting begins to explain what happened and why my heart is broken. And this person wants to have the gift of mercy. But what they say at that point is, you know, life's tough for everybody. It could be worse. Ah, tomorrow will be better. That person doesn't have the gift of mercy. They want to, but they don't. They don't know their own story well enough. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you'll reflect on who you are and what you're about and what God is doing in you so that as we come into this passage of spiritual gifts, you'll be able to determine what your spiritual gift is eventually and then be able to really use it as this church goes forward. Maybe down the road, we'll do some spiritual gift assessments for some of you, of you that might not know where you're at, but probably each of you know where you gravitate to. We might have some uh, speakers in here who should be here once in a while. We might have some servants in here who shouldn't be here on Sunday morning because they're over helping clear out gutters for somebody. We might have some mercy showers in here and maybe a lot of mercy showers. And we need to start a hospital ministry right now because we've got a lot of mercy showers. I don't know. I know I'm not a mercy shower. Um, I'm sorry about that. When it comes to dogs, maybe a little. When it comes to cats, probably not. The gifts here that we have in this section, we all have different gifts in as Corinthians talks about, the finger can't say to the nose, your gift is stupid. And the nose can't say to the finger, your gift is stupid. If the eyes said to the foot, foot, we don't need you. And the foot said back to the eyes, well, we don't need you either. We'd have bare feet stepping on hot coals. The eyes saw it. But the eye said, <laughs> after what he said to me last week, I'm not helping him at all. Psst. 
and the brain calls a staff meeting. Hey, eyes, hey, foot, let's talk about this. What went down there? Each part of the body, and that word is used intentional in this passage, each part of the body is important. Prophecy, in this sense here, that has to do with teaching. Prophetic utterances, it has to do with what I'm doing here. Serving. If a man's gift is prophesying, let it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. You know, I read this and I go, duh, Paul. <laughs> the next one. If it's, um, if it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. I'm like, okay, that's kind of obvious. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. Of course. But it's the obvious things many times. If your gift is the gift of encouragement, then do that. Step into that. And by the way, just a side note, the meaning here of encouragement is not, hey, boy, good job. The meaning here of encouragement is speaking the truth to somebody. Can you imagine, and I steal this illustration, can you imagine a dentist who you go see because you've got a sore tooth, really hurts. And the dentist uh, has the gift of encouragement, so they think. And they go, oh, oh, I'll bet that really hurts. I'm so sorry. Uh, well, I'm just really sorry. That must be hard. And you go, can you do anything about it? And the dentist goes, oh, it's going to hurt. Uh, that's not the gift of encouragement. Now, the guy who doesn't have the gift of encouragement, maybe a pure exhorter, you come in and see him. Uh, oh, my tooth really hurts. Can you do anything about it? Yeah, open your mouth wider. Here's some Novocaine. Oh, that hurts too, I'll bet, doesn't it? We got the tooth out. You ought to thank me. You're like, Whoa, you could be a little gentler. We, we don't want our dentist to tell us it's going to be all right when it's not going to be all right. We don't want our dentist to cause us more pain than we need. I want our dentist to tell the truth. That tooth is going to have to come out, and it's going to hurt. I'm going to have to get some Novocaine, and it's going to hurt to get it out, but it does need to come out. A cancer patient is going to have to hurt before they're healed. And sometimes relationally, we need to say things to each other. I saw what you did yesterday, and I think that was wrong. Can we talk about that? I'd like to encourage you. And that would be encouragement. Not with a hammer and not with kid gloves, just speaking the truth kindly, straight up. That's the idea of encouragement here. Then we get on here. If it's contributing to the needs of others, the gift of giving, let him give generously. And I've been here for about six years, and I've never heard a message on giving. So we'll probably have to do that down the road. It'll come to us naturally eventually. But if you give, give generously. If you need, govern diligently. If you show mercy, do it cheerfully. Oh, I had to go see Grandma again. Nah, if your gift is mercy showing, step into that. Step into that boldly. We jump into the section of love next, as announced yesterday on Facebook. Our, we're not clones, people. 
We all are different. We aren't robots. We aren't supposed to be robots. Different gifts that make us interdependent. Relax. Embrace your gift. Keep in mind that just because someone thinks they have or does have the gift of teaching, they might not teach the right things. Just keep in mind, if someone has the gift of giving, it doesn't mean that they give well. If someone has the gift of mercy, it doesn't mean that they do it all the time. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, kicks off another section. You remember God's mercies. You've put yourself on a living sacrifice. And now that we're hanging out together all the time, your mind is beginning to be transformed, actually renewed. You realize it's not about the things you do that make you Christian. It's about who you are that makes you Christian. You're starting to begin to figure out God's will. By the way, if you don't know us, I'm going through Romans 12 right now. You're to be able to figure out God's will for you and you realize it's not about the college or your vocation or what shoes or what hairstyle. It's about how you do and how you love and how you give and how you care at whatever it is. Get to know yourself. Get to know yourself here on the living living sacrifice altar with me. We'll talk. Keep getting to know yourself. By the way, you've got a special gift. You're unique. This body needs you. Nobody else has the gift that you have, like you have. You're beautiful, and you're awesome, and this body needs you. But now that you know your gift, it would be really, really easy to use your gift to manipulate other people. Use your gift to gain power. Use our gift to become the chairman of the something. Use my gift to get fame. Use my gift to get warm fuzzies for me. And so we start a new section here that says, love must be sincere. And we'll start that conversation next week. Love must be sincere. Are you enjoying Romans 12? Oh, it's fabulous. It is so so rich. Um, And I'm doing the best I can trying to bring it to you in a way that's memorable, in a way that you can um, understand it, we can understand it, and in a way that's actually true to what the text that Paul's trying to communicate. Uh, I, I have to tell you, it's been a real honor to be able to do this exercise in front of you folks, and uh, thank you for allowing me to do that. Um, so I'll see you next week. Uh, we've got the elders going to come up and share a few things with us, and I'll leave that to them.